Good afternoon, everybody. Can you hear me? So, welcome to our next session. Um, my name is Cathy Alford. I run Searchlight. We've got Searchlight Recruitment, exec over here. Um, I don't know how many people know Searchlight, but we recruit for the film and television industry. Um, we don't tend to recruit right at the beginner level, as it were. Most of our candidates tend to have at least a year's experience, and we recruit right up to executive and board level. Um, but we, we fundamentally believe that we've got to support the next generation. I mean, it's really interesting that we've been to a number of uh, meetings with, with clients recently, and they want to know the type of diverse shortlists we're putting forward, where those candidates are coming from. And, you know, we are saying, at this stage, we cannot provide a diverse shortlist. So we're very keen to support the new people and the young people coming into the industry to make sure that we can present in another 10 years at a senior level a really broad uh, shortlist of candidates coming from different places. Um, so we're very pleased to be here. Um, I just want to take a very short sort of straw poll of, of who, why are you here today? What, what do you hope to be? I mean, hands up if you want to be a director. Okay, producer, editor, costume... Does anybody know what they... They don't know what they want. They just know that they want to be in the film and TV industry. Okay, okay, just a few, interestingly. So just one minute before I pass over to Sarah. Um, we don't do... We don't fill a lot of roles as, in terms of a director or producer. That's more Sarah's side. What we do is we fill positions right across the film and TV industry, which maybe are not necessarily the sharp end of production. It may be the person who sells the TV programs once they've been made to international broadcasters. It might be the person who markets a feature film to cinemas. Uh, it might be somebody who is, I don't know, more on the technical side, in a studio running the broadcast side. But all these different roles are absolutely important in making the film and television industry what it is. And without a good salesperson selling those shows, without somebody who is working in PR, you know, getting all the interviews with the stars, there wouldn't be the money to actually continue to produce. So it is really important to have all those... I mean, they're not backroom boys, they're very front room. But don't... You know, if you're not sure about where you want to go, or even at the moment you're thinking, oh, I want to be a director, don't think that being a producer, a director, an editor, a costume designer are the only things within the film and TV industry. There are hundreds of jobs, really valuable jobs, where you can you know, climb the career ladder and have very successful careers. So do think about that. You know, while you're actually starting in the industry, just, just be, be very broad about where you think you might end up. And you may end up somewhere completely different from where you think you are now, but everything is very valuable. So anyway, I'm going to push over to Sarah. Sarah is going to talk to you about how to be a successful freelancer. Thank you very much, Cathy. I'm presuming, yes, this is working. I can hear it's working. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name's Sarah Putt, and I'm a classic example of what Cathy just talked about, in that I always thought I wanted to be a freelance producer, and I was a freelancer for a while, and I absolutely hated it. It pressed all my bad buttons, all my kind of neurotic twitches of when's the next job coming and how am I going to cope financially. And I became, ended up becoming an agent, and I've done that for nearly 30 years, and I absolutely love it, you know, and feel very kind of embedded in the industry that I care deeply about, but without actually being a freelancer. So... 
I have a huge amount of respect for freelancers because I think it is a very tough and very kind of demanding career in lots of ways. Not just in terms of the technical and creative skills that you guys need to have if you're going to establish successful freelance careers, but also in terms of how you are going to develop that career yourself. Because in essence, what you are is a kind of one-person company. You're a brand. And just having those creative and technical skills, fantastic though that is, is not going to be enough. And what I'm here this afternoon to do a kind of whistle-stop tour through, and then we'll, Kathy and I will take questions at the end, is, is kind of talking to you about some of those soft skills that can help you build your brand and define who you are in the marketplace and why it is that somebody should employ you rather than all of those other people. So, you know, your brand is communicated by lots of things. It's communicated by how you present yourself in situations like this, what you say and how you listen, how you, when you're on set or in a work situation, react to stress, what your fracture points are, and most importantly, in many, many ways, what other people say about you. And in order to kind of build that brand and get known, because it doesn't matter how brilliant you are at your job, if nobody knows who you are, if nobody knows where and how to find you, you're not going to get offers of work. So you have to build your network. And you can do that online and offline. And it's worth immediately sort of thinking about what networking is and what networking isn't. Because I think a lot of people feel, uh, particularly at the start of their careers, that it's about meeting you know, high-end individuals, you know, heads of department, producers, directors, getting their card and basically saying, right, will you give me a job? And it's not. It is much more about building relationships with people at all levels. I don't know how many of you were in the um, Moving On Up in TV session yesterday morning, um, but I sat in on it because we'd sponsored it. And actually, it was so interesting because so many of the things the panellists were saying are echoed by the stuff that Cathy and I you know, are going to talk to you about today. And it is, you know, it is about your own community. The people in this room are the people who are going to support you through the next 10, 20 years of your career. So it is as important to build relationships with people at your own level or just above you as people who are way above you and began their careers 20, 25 years ago. You know, it's a reciprocal thing, networking. It's very much about how you can help other people and therefore how they can help you. And most importantly, it is a long-term process. So, Online networking, I'm sure you guys with your age demographic have got this a lot more sus than I have. But there are some things to bear in mind. So LinkedIn can be incredibly helpful. I'm going to talk about LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. And all of those are very much ways in which our clients find work. Most of the freelancers I know find work. But some of the do's and don'ts. Make sure that you're looking at it in a very professional way. Have your experience and credits listed. It can be more informal than a CV, but just needs to inf include keywords so that on searches people will be led to your profile. Make sure you personalise the job title section underneath. Now we're going to talk about this with CVs as well. 
but your job title will change and shift and develop. Don't say that you're a cinematographer when, in fact, the majority of the work you're going to be getting is as a camera trainee. Or don't say you're a director at the stage at which the majority of the work you're going to be doing is as a floor runner. You know, own your title. You will kind of develop that title will change. A clear professional photo, please. The number of LinkedIn profiles that I see that have, you know, somebody at the top of a very tall mountain with skis and goggles. The point of having your photo there is so that when you bump into people at events like this, we can recognize you. So please have a clear photo. And a link to your website, should you have one, because that's going to sort of drive traffic. Again, the problem with lots of people having websites, that's great. They spend lots of time and money putting beautiful work up on websites. How is anybody ever going to find it? How are you going to drive traffic to that website? Be strict about who you connect with. It absolutely, as in all of these things, it is about quality, not quantity. So don't try and connect randomly with just anybody. You know, yesterday, after I chaired a session, and I'm sure it was the same for a lot of the people sitting at this side of the fence, you get lots of LinkedIn requests. If I haven't met you, if I don't know you, then I'm probably not going to click yes. So be a little bit kind of strategic in terms of who you're trying to connect with. And ask for people for recommendations if you've worked with them, and endorse others wisely. Twitter, be focused. If it's going to be a work account, make sure that what you're tweeting about is industry-related things, but obviously, you know, bearing in mind confidentiality. Please, please, in all online activity, just don't say anything you wouldn't say in person. You know, that's really, really important. Express the same level of politeness, respect that you would do face-to-face. -face. Follow people you'd like to work with. Follow cinematographers, directors, producers whose work you admire. Follow the people they follow, and please do not worry about who follows you. That is irrelevant. It's not about how many followers you've got. It's about the quality and type of people that you're following. And build contacts. And yes, when jobs come up on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere, which they do, respond quickly. We run our own in-house trainee scheme. Every year, we take on sort of 25 individuals and kind of work on this soft skills area with them. And it's amazing how jobs will come up on Twitter and you say, did you respond to that job? Yeah, 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 um, I did at the weekend. It had gone by then. You know, it, it will be gone in a couple of hours, which is why you know, we're going to come on to talk about CVs, etc. You need to be show ready all the time. You need to be able to respond and know how you're going to respond and have that CV to hand in order to do it effectively. Facebook, again, just know what your settings are. Know what is up there and out there about you. There are a great many Facebook groups. It can be an incredibly effective way of getting work, particularly at the beginning of your career. Some of them you have to be invited on to. But there's also quite a few where there's a lot of ranting goes on. And everybody has, you know, absolutely legitimate grievances at some point in their career about a situation, about a show, or whatever. But do not be naive enough to imagine that those private groups are actually private. Most line producers and heads of production I know know very well how to get onto those groups or get information about those groups. So you become a troublemaker on one of those groups, and people will know about it. So just be a little bit wary of that. And finally, 
and I don't know how many of you have done this, Google yourself. See what comes up about you. It was the first thing when we're recruiting our trainees at the beginning of every year. It's the first thing we do when we get all their CVs. It's remarkable what comes up and what you find out about some people, probably some of which they'd rather you weren't finding out. So just make sure that you, know, you are presenting yourself well. How do those that you admire present themselves? And build a biography and a brand that works across all of these platforms, yeah? Know what your unique selling point is. Know what it is that you are offering to that marketplace. And back in the real world, you know, same principles apply in essence, but again, it's about being professional. All of this is about trying to professionalize what you do in order that you can then express your creativity by being employed to do it. So if you get somebody's card, meet them at an event, and you think they're somebody I would like to kind of build that long-term relationship with, make sure you email them to say thank you. Don't even ask for anything necessarily, but just thanking people is a really good way to start a relationship. Make every email personal. And, you know, if you had a conversation and you referenced an article or something you'd seen or a link to something, send that to them. That's the way you're starting a dialogue with somebody. And if anybody meets you and comes and has a coffee with you to give you some advice, again, remember to say thank you. It is amazing how often one does not get thanked. And it just makes you feel a bit like, why did I bother? That person obviously didn't find it useful, didn't appreciate it. So please, you know, it makes people feel really nice if they're thanked. And that's what you want to leave people with on every occasion that you meet them, that you have any interaction with them. You want to leave them with that positive and good impression of you. So when it comes to the point where there is actually a job to be had, they're going to think of you and that's going to make them feel good and they're going to think, yes, that's the sort of person I want to work with. People often ask, you know, how often should one stay in contact? When's okay to email, update? What, what, how often becomes stalking, in essence? And I think that's something people worry about a lot. So do keep in constant contact on a regular basis. You know, probably once every three months, three or four times a year is fine. And or when you've got an update because you've worked with a new piece of equipment or a short film you worked on is coming out or you, know, um, you want to tell them about a job you've just been offered. That's always a good reason. Even if you're not getting a response, trust me, with most of the heads of department I know and certainly with producers and line producers, they have folders, they keep them, they will keep your updated CV. So even if you're not getting an email back, and actually a tip somebody said yesterday morning in the session was, Actually, and it was Emily Gale, who's a, a talent manager, and she's saying she's incredibly busy, and she finds it really helpful if when people are updating her with a new copy of their CV, they actually say, I'm not expecting you to email me back, but I just wanted to update you. And that kind of, again, it makes somebody feel, oh, I'm not on the hook, oh my God, they're not expecting a reply, etc. but I will put that CV in my folder for that area, and then when the jobs come up, I will be in contact. No, um, and also noticing and commenting on other people's achievements. If directors have won an award or been nominated or, you know, you can follow them through their agents' websites um, or just keep Googling them. But again, it's nice to congratulate people. And all of this, it's that drip, drip, drip effect. 
And truly, I have so many stories of people who, two years down the line, you know, thinking somebody hasn't noticed all these updates and those emails they've been sending, get a call saying, I'm crewing up for a job. Are you available? So it really does make a difference if you just kind of keep it constantly and steadily. So be persistent. Sometimes it is just about timing. And reach out to as many people as you can and just keep in contact with those that are showing some kind of interest and updating them. The other thing that we always say to people is when you do then have meetings with people, try and double your network every time. So every one person you meet, if you can politely, not barring the door to stop them leaving before they give it to you, but ask them for a couple of people that they'd suggest you get in contact with, then you are doubling your network with every meeting you go to. And it's amazing how quickly that then builds up. And be professional and courteous. You know, mobile phones have become this curse whereby people seem to feel that it's okay to phone at whatever time of night or day. No, kind of keep office hours. So, having done all this successful networking, um, you're then going to have to get that CV out to people that's going to get you in the door for the interview. So, CVs, these poor little pieces of paper. We send out into the world expecting them to do so much for us. You need to be specific about what you're wanting this CV to do. And in short, it needs to demonstrate why you fit the job. Not any job, but the job in question, with the individual in question. So, you know, really with your CV, most importantly, you're probably, as you're going to go along, going to have a master template on your computer somewhere that is going to constantly be adapted and shaped and changed with relevant information pulled out of it to fit each specific job that you're applying for, yeah? So, tweak it to the specific job. Put the most relevant information at the top. In busy production offices or talent managers' offices, CVs will get 20 seconds if you're lucky. Therefore, your big hitters need to be in the top half of the first page. That's where the stuff you really want them to remember needs to be. So don't put the fact you were a St. John's cadet when you were 14 up there. Fine, if you really want it there, put it down on towards the bottom of the second page. Work stuff, your work experience, etc., and your credits as you go along and build them up is the most important. If you haven't got necessarily relevant experience, find evidence of similar skills and make them transferable. Again, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that anything they did in the land before film and television is irrelevant and they shouldn't have it on their CV. Actually, I think anybody who wants to work in production or anything production related and has, for example, survived three months working in a Weatherspoons will always get my vote. Yeah? So any customer service-based experience, admin, that kind of, they are all transferable skills if you make them transferable. But you're going to have to make that connection for the potential employer. And be proud of your title, as we were talking about, and make it appropriate, yeah? And less is more. You know, people write their life history on CVs. 
I see, you know, trainee and assistant CVs that go on for four or five sides and are full of short film after short film after short film, it, most of which nobody's ever heard of. Have the confidence to just have your big hitters and not absolutely everything you've ever done. And the most important thing, and this very much came up on the panel yesterday morning, is people want to see who you've worked with. Your personal relationships are your career currency. People will look down that CV and they will look at the shows you've done and they will look at who you worked with on those shows. So make sure that you're putting exec producers and producers or directors, you know, whomsoever is relevant in terms of a head of department or above you on that show. Because that's the, the person that hopefully somebody will know who's looking at your CV and think, I'm going to phone them up and see how this person was. So also don't presume that people will politely wait until they get to the very end of your CV where your references are and go, oh, I'll now phone those references. No, they will phone, the, if they're interested in you, the first person whose name they recognize. So on the flip side of the coin, do not put down the names of people who perhaps for whatever reason, and it happens to most people over the course of a career, you haven't got on so well with. Yeah? Only put people on your CV who are going to say nice things about you. People like to work with people who have worked with people they know. It's a safety blanket. And so much employing is like kind of getting through the cut each time. You know, once you're getting to the latter stages of that, people know you can do the job. They trust that you probably have the skills to do it with, in particular to more junior level. So therefore, they're going to have to find other reasons to limit that choice, to cut it down to the number of people they're going to interview. So make sure you're on the right side of that cut. And like I said, people, potential employers will call people you have worked, you've worked with and named on your CV rather than necessarily just your listed referees. So, a CV also enables potential employers to identify, verify, and contact you. Sounds bleeding obvious, doesn't it? But it's amazing the number of CVs that I see that don't have that information for Square and Central. Make it easy mobile phone numbers, job title, email address, mobile phone, website if you've got one. No contact details, no contact. People get kind of obsessed sometimes with putting their physical address. I would always say nah, and actually on a very specific level, because if you put your physical address, it can be used to put you on the wrong side of the cut when it comes to the interview. So I've got had specific situations whereby, for example, there's been a job up at Leavesden Studios for a camera trainee. Camera trainee applies, lives in Greenwich, puts their address. Perfectly nice people in a production office are going, oh, you know, these eight CVs are really good. We can only really interview six of them. This person, they live down in Greenwich. They're not going to want to travel up to Leavesden every year, so we won't interview them. Don't allow other people to make those decisions for you. So only put information on that CV if it is going to benefit you. So if it's a job in Manchester and you've got a base in London and Manchester, absolutely put that, because then it's advantageous. So a CV is your career summary. It's 
not a case for the defense. I, I know I don't look very experienced, but I've done all of these short films. It's not your life story. It is purely to get you through that door for that interview, for that job, or to build that relationship with that person that might employ you. So it is not also a one-size-fits-all. Make it look nice. Make it look clear and easy to read. For those of us who have to look at a lot of CVs, if you get a well-laid-out CV, it really, really does make a difference. It makes it much more kind of engaging, and you feel much more warmly towards that person. So credit, key people you've worked with, practical experience, other skills you might have, languages, visas you've got, driving license, please, 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 please. In this country, driving license is spelt with a C, not an S. Now, a lot of line producers who absolutely put people in the no pile if they spell driving license with an S, on the grounds of, I want people with real attention to detail in my production office. I do not want somebody who is sloppy. Um, don't list all the unpaid jobs. We'll talk about personal mission statements in a minute, but if you're going to use one, make it unique to you. Don't create something that is so visually overwhelming, I feel slightly nauseous. Portrait versus landscape, personally, I prefer a portrait CV. They sit in piles better. You can find them more easily. I have come to accept over the years that all of our camera departments see the world in landscape. <laughs> this is amazing. You get camera trainee CVs, they are constantly in landscape. So I've kind of given up on that one. Avoid clutter. Be honest. Don't exaggerate. Please remove pictures of yourself, clapperboards, microphones. Again, they're just using valuable space. They're not giving me any information about you. They're truly not going to make you more memorable. So, brief two pages. Make use of white space so that the information can breathe. Use a readable typeface. Font 10 or 12 points, please. Don't cut and paste carelessly. Print it off. I had this recently. I was sending out lots and lots of CVs when I was actually standing for re-election for um, a BAFTA committee. And I was kind of altering them to make them personal. And what I didn't realize till, thank God, one of my clients pointed out to me very quickly, was that where I was altering it, although it looked fine on my screen, on mobile phones and when printed, it was coming up in different colors. So it looked very obviously cut and pasted. So hey, you know, you still don't get it right down the line but make sure you print stuff out, see how it looks. Don't use generic statements. I work well in a team. I am self-motivated. I am enthusiastic. And please, less passion. I am so over-passion. There is so much passion in this industry. If it's going to be about passion, show me, don't tell me. Otherwise, I'm not going to believe you. Don't use loads of typefaces or different colors. And please don't use, as I say, 10 or 12 points, smallest. A lot of the people who are going to read your CV are possibly slightly more mature in years than you are, and therefore their eyesight is possibly slightly not as good as yours. It makes us feel very grumpy when we can't read things, so no tiny, tiny fonts in order to think, aha, I can be really clever. She told me to get it onto two sides. Tiny print, I'll get it on two sides. Nah, that's cheating. Okay, so personal statements, the little paragraph at the top of a CV. How many of you have one? Little sort of bio... Brilliant. They're tough, aren't they? They're really difficult to do. Uh, one of the guys on the panel yesterday morning said, I hate them, I never read them. So they are kind of quite marmite -y. If you can nail it, 
It highlights the best bits of your CV, like a trailer for a movie. It's there at the top. It's the first thing people read. Hopefully, it might make them want to read more. So it can be a concise overview to get people interested. If you're going to do it, some tips. It needs to be written with the employer in mind. Most of the little statements I read tell me what that person wants. I am a national film and television school trained cinematographer. I now want to expand my work on large studio sets and within period drama. I don't care. I want you to know, to know what you're going to do for me on my job. So think about what that employer wants. Think about what you have to offer rather than what you're necessarily wanting to get. And again, it's probably going to need tweaking across jobs and platforms. If you can nail it, it's really useful because you can use it across a variety of platforms, your CV, your LinkedIn profile, jobs boards, Twitter, and you can kind of even use it as the base for how you're going to introduce yourself when you do meet people at networking events. So if you're going to do it, concise, a short paragraph, factual, limit the adjectives. Tell me and show me what you've done. Don't tell me about what you've done. If you want to tell me that you know, you're really adaptable, demonstrate it by a job you've done in very difficult conditions. Just tell me about it in a sentence. And phone a friend. Maybe ask other people to sum you up in three or four sentences. Because again, sometimes we find it hard to blow our own trumpets. So say to your mates working in the industry, if you had to describe me in three sentences professionally, how would you describe me? They'll probably give you a much, much more accurate and kind of on the nose and probably much more positive and upbeat view of you than you would probably give yourself. Okay, so doing well. What time is it? Yeah. Um, so the CV has been spectacularly successful and it has led to lots and lots of interviews for jobs you would potentially like to do. Again, some of this probably seems obvious, but it's amazing how often people get this wrong. The interview success is so often based on what happens before. Because if you don't do the stuff before, it's all going to fall apart on the day. So prepare, prepare, prepare. Research, research, research. Know the company. Know the individuals. Another tip from yesterday, don't just know the last job they've done. Know through Googling them their route through the industry if you can. That means you can ask some quite interesting questions about, oh, I know you started at the BBC, but then you went freelance, and how did that work for you? The more you know about somebody, the more flattering it is going to feel for them, and the more engaged that conversation is going to be. Watch other shows that are good reference points, and across all platforms. I mean, you poor sods, that's got so much harder than when I started. <laughs> like three, four channels. Now, there's so much. But try and dip into as many shows as you can and show that you have a broad range. And I think one of my tips on that would be, at the moment, what we all see is an awful lot of bigging up Netflix, bigging up Amazon. Great, there are amazing shows out there on Netflix and Amazon. But as has been proven by the bodyguard over the last few weeks, there are also really, really good domestic shows with smaller budgets. Do not forget the BBC and ITV and BBC Three. You know, do not sneer at those terrestrial channels. Because an awful lot of people, even those working for the big platforms, we all started our careers in one of those domestic channels and still feel a lot of love and affection for them. So for some roles, <coughs> it's going to help you 
to come with a portfolio, reference material, a soundscape, whatever it is. Again, a prop can sometimes make people feel more comfortable. So if it's relevant, do feel free to use it. Also, check whether you have any mutual contacts. And the further you go through the industry, the easier that's going to get, because you can then reference that person. And it's like, again, that security blanket of, I've worked with people that you know. And it makes it sort of feel like there's a connection. Um, another thing to say about interviews is a chat is never just a chat. A chat is always potentially an interview in which somebody is sizing you up a little, kind of sussing out whether they might want to work with you. So however relaxed and informal it seems, it's not so much informal as gloriously unstructured. And that is the thing about this industry, that you know, quite often you'll be asked to go and meet somebody, let's say you're a camera trainee, meet the cinematographer at 5 o'clock in the Costa Coffee at Paddington Station on a Friday evening. That cinematographer is probably going to be grumpy. It's raining. His train's late. He just wants to get home down to Gloucestershire to his family. And he's supposed to be interviewing you for a job that you might be doing with him or might not because he's looking for a trainee. So without being too bossy and just kind of resulting in a monologue, you're going to potentially have to take some control in that interview situation. So it is a two-way street. And it really helps if before that interview and having done all of your research, you kind of know the three things, probably no more than three, that you want to get across about yourself. Now, all this is going to be helped as well if you turn up really, really early. I have quite a lot of clients who literally do recce the day before if they don't know where they're going. Because a lot of production companies are like little doorways, down alleys, and you know, if you're hot and sweaty when you arrive and you're running 10 minutes late, it's just going to start the interview off all wrong. So get the train before the train before the train before you need to get. Go and sit in a coffee shop, feel chilled and relaxed. It's a lot better way of approaching an interview than kind of running in at the last minute with beads of sweat dripping down your forehead. And I have interviewed a lot of people with beads of sweat dripping down their forehead. It is not a good look. You feel sorry for them. They feel embarrassed. It's just dreadful. <laughs> if you're asked questions, don't be afraid of silences. You know, I think we go one of two ways when we're nervous. People are either like catatonic and cannot speak, or people like myself just talk too much when we're nervous. Blah, kind of verbal diarrhea. So don't be afraid of silences if you're kind of having a think about a question they've asked you. Be positive. Positive reactions are incredibly attractive. You know, things can be challenges. Things can be potentially confusing. Ask questions, that's fine. But just don't be negative And don't moan about previous jobs. As you go through the industry, there are jobs that become infamous for their awfulness. People will literally get you in rooms because they want to talk about how awful it was. Do not fall into that elephant trap. Because you do not know that the producer on that job isn't their goddaughter. So really, really don't go there. Talk about things as challenging, but do not talk about them as shit and the worst job you've ever done. <laughs> and I have seen that as well. Um, ask questions. Absolutely ask questions. And breathe. Remember to take a moment and breathe. So I said at the top, it's a two-way street. You should be looking at, you know, is this the kind of job I want to do? Are these the kind of people I want to work with to some extent as much as they're looking at you in that way? And what do employers look for? They look for really good first impressions. Eye contact. 
know, it's a big way of kind of gaining people's trust. I mean, not boring into their eyes, never, ever looking away. But, you know, just eye contact on a normal, civilised basis. Handshakes. Handshakes are weird that we still do handshakes, but a lot of time we still do handshakes. So if you're going to do one, and number one is a wet fish, and number ten is a bone crusher, go for about six to seven. Yeah, because if you crush somebody, it's not, again, a good start. They're going to be wringing their hands for the first half of the interview. They want people that they don't mind being stuck in a submarine with. That was the expression of one of my heads of department. Again, by the time you've got to that interview, they probably know. They've sussed it out. They've talked to people. They know you can do the job. They know you know the equipment. They know you've got experience on that kind of set or in that kind of location. You've done work abroad, whatever it is. They want to know whether you are the person that they want to work with. And they want good, enthusiastic energy. Because if you're going to be stuck in a submarine with somebody on a shoot for six weeks with long hours, you want to know that they are going to be a positive person. When you leave said interview, and you've no idea how it's gone, and they probably said, great to meet you, we've got several other people to see, drop them a note, say thank you so that the last impression they have of you is a really polite one. It's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. If then, sadly, they reject you, and you want to kind of kick the cat and feel miserable, you still email them again and say, thanks very much. It was really great to meet you. I'm disappointed it didn't work out because it's a great project, but I wish you all good luck with it. The number of times, and I've just had this with a job this week with a client, where the client did that, and actually the first person they'd chosen then pulled out because they got another job, came straight back to my client. Because, you know, A, he'd been nice in the room, but B, incredibly, and the producer actually said he was so nice about being turned down that we just wanted to come back to him because we thought he's somebody we'd really like to work with. So graciousness in the face of rejection really does work. So, it's all gone incredibly well. You have got the job. What informs your decisions to turn down or take a job? Yeah, again, as somebody said on the Moving Up panel yesterday, I think at the beginning of your career, you just take jobs, even the ones you probably don't want to do, and you try and find something positive in each job. But as you move along, your career will be as much determined by the jobs you turn down as the jobs you take. So, as we talked about at the beginning, you are a brand, you are a business. What is your business? What's your business plan? Where are you heading? Because then you look and interrogate each job offer in the light of what you're looking to achieve over the next six months, year, two years. So, say, your career is defined by the jobs you don't take as much as you do. So, you know what you're going to be giving, probably. Your skill, your time, your talent. What are you going to be getting? Is it going to be money? It's a really well-paid job. Is it prestige? Because it's with, you know, a high-end director or producer or production company that you'd really like to have on your CV. Is it contacts? Is it people that you've been really trying to get in with? Is it pure enjoyment and it's a load of mates going and doing a low-budget film in Spain in July? Great. As long as you know why you're doing that job. Should you do freebies? I'd really like to live in a world where they didn't exist, but they do. And you should use the same criteria 
in judging whether you should do any individual free job in terms of, you know what you're going to be giving, what are you getting out of it? Because if there's no money involved, there needs to be something else you're getting out of it, not just because you're a nice human being and you're helping somebody out, unless it's a charitable job, and that's a whole different set of potatoes. And my other advice would be, do not keep doing freebies for the same person time and time again. An awful lot of really fine filmmakers have started off, like Colin O'Toole with Cowboy Dave, who was on a panel yesterday afternoon here, and they did that with a group of mates for a tiny budget. But as a result of that, he's now got his first feature, fingers crossed. So he's not going to keep on repeating that pattern of doing low-budget short films. You don't want to be working with the same people doing no-budget, no low-budget jobs for five years because they should be progressing. And if they're not progressing, you need to ask you know, whether it's to your advantage career-wise to keep on doing that work with them. Do you need an agent? Bizarrely, as an agent, I would say we're not miracle workers. We don't necessarily change people's lives. The point at which you need an agent is when you can give that agent something to sell you with. And you need to know why you want an agent and what you want that agent to do for you. Yeah? And how do you move up the career ladder? Like we said, it's about having a strategy. It's about knowing what your brand is, what your little company offers, and how you want that little company to develop. So, in order to do the job, you're going to have to do the deal. So you need to be, as much as you can, an assertive negotiator. And I say assertive rather than aggressive or defensive. And a lot of people fall into one of those two. They're either defensive in the sense of, oh, I'm just a little freelancer and I'm only at the beginning of my career and it's all a bit shit and I'm just going to have to take what I'm given and there's not going to be any room to negotiate, otherwise they'll just say they don't want me. Or the aggressive negotiator is the one I will not compromise. I'm getting what I want. I don't care what the result is, but I'm going to win. Negotiating is not about winning or losing. It is about compromising. And all negotiations, and I spend an awful lot of my time and could bore for England on this, doing negotiations, is about the art of compromise. Knowing what your bottom line is, knowing what you're prepared to give up, you know, if you can't get the overtime rate you want, can you make sure the hours are limited? You know, whatever that may be, and that will depend on the individual deal. You can't necessarily change other people's behavior, but you can adapt your own behavior. Again, do your research. Who is it you're going to have to negotiate with? What do you know about them? What kind of person are they? What are they like? Have you friends who've worked for them before? Don't catastrophize. Don't think it's all going to be a disaster before you start. Often, those who name their price first lose. And again, at a junior level, there will probably be a price for the trainee or the assistant for the day or the week. All you need to do is check with other people you know that that is parity across the board. And if you're the sound trainee and you're being offered that, or an art department trainee, that all the other trainees are on the same rate. But if you're asked what your rate is, often try and get them to say what they've got in their budget. An example I give you of this is a young DOP that I look after, and he'd been doing quite low-budget films, and he then got a £20 million film, and we were all really, really excited. And he and I talked about what he'd be prepared to do it for. And I spoke to the line producer. But instead of saying the figure, 
I asked the line producer what was in the budget. I kid you not, the figure the line producer named was a thousand pounds more a week than I would have asked for. So I would have really screwed my client over had I named my price first. It's not always going to be possible, but worth bearing in mind. Make sure you use industry comparisons, pack back to rate cards, your mates, what other people are earning. And then, you know, as well, the power of silence. If you've said no, or that's not enough, or I would like a little more, don't then, because we're all terribly well brought up and feel very embarrassed about silences, undermine that by going, but, 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 no, I, that's fine, okay, I'll do it for what you're offering. When you say no, mean no, and be silent about it until they respond. Okay, deal's all done and you're on the job. Um, not all jobs, sadly, are a walk in the park. Not all of them are fun. Uh, sometimes they're just difficult because the hours are long and everybody's temper's afraid and it's a creative atmosphere. And that's as it is. And we all work in a high-octane environment. And in those situations, try and walk away, try and remove yourself from that moment. And often by the next morning or later on in the day, the person you've had that conflict with will apologise or you'll apologise and everybody can move on in a positive way. You know, some of the best creative relationships I know have their moments, you know, of stress and flair and argument. I'm not saying we should all live in some clappy, happy nirvana where nobody ever fights. However... There is a line between that and when behavior becomes bullying, harassing, intimidating. And that is something that, you know, here at BAFTA and with the BFI and with Women in Film and Television and PACT and Equity, etc., we've really been trying to work on. Because the reality for you guys as freelancers is that nobody has a duty of care for you. Whereas in an employed situation, if I suddenly start treating my team in my office really badly, we have an HR facility. They would go and talk to HR and say, I'm not happy with this. And we'd all have to deal with it. But you don't have that. So that is why the anti-bullying and harassment principles and guidelines were produced at the beginning of this year. Have any of you seen them online? It's really worth having a look at. And the film and TV charity has now set up a helpline specifically for freelancers. And they've got an email address as well. So bear all that in mind. And when you see bad behavior or you experience bad behavior, call it out. Because this industry only changes if we call it out. And my generation, we haven't called it out as much as we should have done. And we've tolerated stuff we shouldn't have tolerated. Sorry, this is a really serious bit. But you guys get to define what that industry looks like in the next generation. So make sure it's a good one. Yeah? Um, is it okay to leave jobs before the end? If you're having a shit time, absolutely. But if it's as is happening a lot at the moment, because the industry is very, very buoyant and febrile, there's lots of shows. If it's about, oh, I've got a much bigger show I could go on to, check the terms of your contract. A lot of contracts people do not realize are not mutual notice. They can give you a week's notice. You are on what's called a fixed term contract. So you are technically going to break your contract if you leave. However, having said that, if you talk to your head of department or the producer or line producer, people on the whole are quite reasonable. But my advice is ask, do not tell. Yeah? And at the end of jobs, 
Get feedback, positive and negative. Ask for feedback. You will learn more from people telling you the things that you were weaker at than people blowing smoke up your ass and telling you you were absolutely fantastic. So really try and get that feedback. Financial resources, lots of them out there. Please, please get on top of your tax, get on top of your financial situation, your cash flow, put money aside for tax, put money aside for NI. It's a whole big topic on its own, but there are lots of resources available. And back to your brand, back to your company in conclusion. Set yourself goals, 90-day goals, one year, five years, whatever you want. Know what it is you're heading towards what you want your career to look like. Again, freelancers too often are blown by the winds of fate. Oh, here's a job. I'll just take the job. That's great. I'll then move on to the next job. And then you look at CVs, and five, ten years down the line, people are just going around in ever-decreasing circles. Strategize and have some control. Make choices. So you're a business. Keep reviewing the business plan. And equally, keep learning. Keep on doing stuff like this. You know, there's an awful lot of um, training out there. You can, as a freelancer, often get match funding from creative skill set, organizations like that, to go and do training. Make sure you keep on upskilling. And manage the choices you have. And please, almost more importantly than anything, remember to have a life. Remember to see your mates and your mum and have holidays. You know, again, what I hear so often from freelancers, I can't do that, a job might come in. You will just end up as a burnt-out little husk hating this industry. Do not be that person. Enjoy that journey. And good luck. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. I hope everyone found that really useful. Um, so I think we've got about 10 minutes of questions, yeah? Something like that? Yeah, about 10 minutes. Um, so, yeah, questions for Sarah or myself? In talking about CVs, you were talking about mentioning like three months in Weatherspoon. But what if you've had a career previously? How much do you want to know about that other career? Do you want to, like, summed up in a line? Do you want to hear about all these other jobs? Or? Um, I mean, our CVs are slightly different. Yeah. So, because our CVs are not necessarily freelance, we do have a freelance section. But I would say, it's going back to what Sarah said, about if it's relevant, then put it on. But don't, don't, do a page, don't spend a page doing it. You know, just put the core jobs you did and relevant skills. If you're going into production, then make sure you mention the fact that you are, you know, you did organisation, you were doing administrative stuff. If it's relevant. If it's something, you know, you worked in a bar and you're actually, you've got lots of other admin stuff and this is an admin role, probably not. Yeah. But you can sometimes just drop things off when you think it's actually no, no longer relevant. Yeah, so brief and relevant. Yeah. yeah. As with all things with CVs, basically, brief yeah. and relevant is the mantra. Um, you mentioned social media. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, but not other social medias. Do you think that matters? Because I'm not really a fan of it. Um, would you ever look down on somebody because they weren't on social media? I, I don't think it's about looking down on somebody. It's at all. And that is absolutely your choice. And I'm with you. I'm not on Facebook. We are as a company. Um, and I'm not on Twitter. We are as a company. But I think it's that be aware that as a freelancer, there may well be job opportunities arising you know, on those forms of social media, so you may be missing out on things. 
and that, you know, then the decision you make is your choice, yeah? Um, as an agent, how do you generally find most of your uh, kind of clients? Would you say they kind of come to you or do you kind of find them? Uh, we're lucky as we've sort of been going for quite a while now in that on the whole they find us. However, you know, I do a lot of kind of going out there and looking at graduation films and seeing what new talent's out there. So um, myself and my team are kind of keeping an eye on that emerging talent as, you know, you, the maybe people think we're not noticing as yet, but we will know. We will know kind of what's coming through and who's winning awards and who's doing interesting short films. I don't know about Cassie. Yeah, from our perspective, we're not agents. Um, it's slightly different, just so that you're clear. I suppose an agent is somebody who represents um, production staff uh, to the... It's very difficult to describe, yes, isn't it? Yes, because it's sort of two, two, we're well, two sides really of a coin. Well, the is who pays. Yes, it's basically who pays. So with us, the clients pay. The individual freelancers are with us and they pay us either a monthly fee or they pay us commission, yes. they pay us 10% commission. Whereas our clients are actually the companies we put the candidates into. So therefore, we charge a percentage of the first year's salary, or if it was a freelance role, then that would be pro rata. So in terms of going back to your question, um, we are pretty well known in the industry as well, so we do get lots and lots of CVs on a daily basis coming to us, um, but because we also do ser we search for candidates, we spend a lot of time looking through LinkedIn. I mean, I'm, you know, just to give an example, I'm doing a, a commissioning role for Amazon in Spain at the moment, not the easiest role of ever had to fill. So we're spending a lot of time, you know, Googling, finding out, well, who are the production companies in Spain? Who are the broadcasters in Spain? Who are the exec producers, the commissioners in Spain? So there's a lot of searching as well. So it's just going back, it's, it's worth having your name out there because a lot of people will look on LinkedIn, look on Facebook to find those candidates, definitely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, lady here. Hello. Um, as a freelance music composer, so that's my background, um, what happens when you're working on a project and you experience burnout or something health-related happens or something with family and you need to possibly step away from the project? Do you have any tips or any procedures you can possibly recommend to try and rebuild that previous relationship or get back in touch or without, you know, Make, making things super awkward at the end when you suddenly find you can't work on something. Yeah, Thank it's you. a difficult one. I, I think the industry is getting better at dealing with, you know, physical and mental health issues that freelancers may have. And I think there is an understanding, you know, that productions do need to exercise more of a duty of care to those working on them because a great deal is asked of those freelancers in roles. So I think if you have had to step away from something, you know, do absolutely just re-engage, you know, ask them how the rest of the production went, suggest you go for a coffee, you know, in your own time and when you're feeling up to doing that. But I would imagine that, you know, most people would probably feel embarrassed about reaching out to the individual and think, oh, I don't want to disturb them, I don't know how they are now. So you're actually making it easier for them if you go, you know, do you know what, I'm feeling great now, thank you so much for being so understanding. Love to talk to you about stuff you've got coming up. So kind of take courage in both hands and, and go rebuild that relationship. And I think people will, on the whole, be quite positive, or I would hope so. 
Hi, um, I'm just wondering, when you're starting out, how important is it that you single out a kind of a, a job title, as it were, when going for freelancing? Um, and I suppose I'm coming from that from the point of view of, obviously, you need to earn money. <laughs> so most of the time, it's, it, it's having, um, I, at the moment, I have another job. And what I'd ideally like to do is work full-time in the film industry. Um, but, you know, do, do you have to, at that point, go directly for one job title? Or, to be quite frank, as long as I'm doing anything in the film industry, I'm much happier yeah. than doing something then, in a no, completely like, different one. Like I was saying about that CV is a sort of adaptable feast, and there'll probably be a template, and you'll move it around and use the most relevant information in any job you're applying for. No, you know, your job title is potentially the title of the job you're applying for at that beginning stage. So no, it's just a question of getting that CV in front of them. And if that's like working as a production runner as a, or as a floor runner, you know, that can be adaptable job by job. It doesn't have to be one set in stone. I agree. It, it, you know, obviously you've got to tell the truth on a CV, but you can actually be really creative. Mm. Um, so, you know, a floor runner could actually soon become more of an administrative role if you focus not on the making tea but the taking notes or you know or the I don't know um producing work, call yeah, sheets producing or, call yeah. sheets exactly you know so it's it is important to have a job title but that can flex exactly with the job and you know we always I always recommend you know you talked about the profile at the top of the CV that's a really good place where you can transform from being um you know, a junior assistant producer to a floor runner to uh, an administrator to, you know, even a, a, I don't know, a director's assistant if it was a junior one. You know, and it's just that kind of making sure that when you're looking at your skills and that CV, it's matching the job, which yeah. is obviously what And it is, saying. and I, I didn't say that, and that's a very good point. You know, it's job description CV. Look at them. Yeah, Where's the overlap? Make them overlap, you know, on each job you're applying for. I guess, sorry, just to kind of further on from that, I guess the fear is that then you end up with a, when you're listing your credits, you know, I've got a, a camera assistant credit, a floor running credit, and it becomes completely, almost like too diluted so that people don't necessarily but look at the That's the moving the information yeah. around and having that template. And if it's not anything camera assistant related, then that credit would go much further down. Don't get too hidebound. The other thing that you know people do in the freelance world, and this is very much a sort of convention more of full-time employment jobs, is they kind of note dates to the level of like February the 28th, 1989 to July the 26th, 2004, or whatever it might be. It's like freelancers don't work all year. No freelancers work 52 weeks a year. They'd be in a little heap of butter on the ground if they did. So actually, the, the periods are not so important. Um, so you can shift those credits around, probably more than if you'd worked in banking or pharmaceuticals and you'd gone from one job to another to another, where what you need to prove is that you have been in constant employment. Yeah, that's, that's very much. I mean, yeah. we, we, we ask when people haven't been working for a while. Um, but what I was going to say is also don't be afraid to leave things off. You know, once you've actually got um, some experience behind you, um, and as Sarah said, you don't have to put every single week of every single year down. If you're going for a, a junior production assistant role, take the camera credit off if it was a year ago. Just leave it off, you know, and actually put the things which are relevant for this job. You know, that's difficult. You know, if you've been in the industry 10 years and you've actually got all credits all over the place, then maybe not. But when you're starting out and you've got a year's credits, then actually pick the ones that are relevant. Um, as long as it looks realistic, you know. Absolutely. Thank you.
Okay, any other questions? Probably do one more. Gentlemen at the back. Uh, hi, uh, thank you for the talk, first of all, it's really helpful. Um, just going back to what you were saying about when you have an interview for any production role, it's good to watch shows around it to get an idea. Do you have any advice if it's a development role where there's ne not necessarily a specific project involved, the kind of preparation that you can do for that? Okay, I mean, what I'd probably suggest with that is, is uh, so we're talking about potentially a development role within a company within a drama production company, scripted, then I would look at the kind of writers they've worked with in the past, the kind of taste they have as a company in terms of what they're producing. I'd watch shows around that. I would kind of, you can pick up an awful lot of scripts online. I would reference the work of the writers that they've obviously wished to and have chosen to work with and maybe try and read some scripts, some output of some of those writers and have some opinions of your own as well. You know, writers who, whose work you like, you know, or books, material, original source material that you think is interesting and that you might think might fit into the development slate of that company. Yeah? Because that's what they're going to be employing you for, is the strength and, and quality of your own opinions and ability to develop source material. So, okay, I think we're, we should probably... Oh, one more demo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, hi, I was working as a researcher and I was just wondering when you are first starting out in the industry, how do you know what base rate you should be going for? Like, Do you sort of see a line that you would recommend? Um, I don't know whether researchers are covered by packed bit too. Also, I freelancing in general, how do you know what rate to set for I yourself? mean, it, it is no one source. It is trying to get a picture through a variety of sources to talking to your contemporaries, which is why your network is so important to you, and other researchers, other people who've maybe done that role within that company before and what they've been paid, other comparable roles. So, you know, obviously at a sort of freelance trainee level, that's easier because, you know, camera trainees will get paid the same as sound trainees, etc. Not sure what other grades researcher would be comparable to within a company, but it would be worth having a think about that. You can always phone back to up, ask them, you know, any friends you've got who kind of work within talent offices within any of those companies might be able to give you some advice. So sadly, there's no one place, but, you know, use your kind of database of, of network contacts in order to build a picture. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. So thank you very much to Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Um, I just wanted to say that Searchlight are holding a CV surgery upstairs from 3 o'clock. It is upstairs, I think, isn't it? Um, and I'm not quite... We're only there for an hour. I'm not sure how many people are going to come. But if anybody wants advice on their CV or further advice um, on what we've been talking to today, and also one of my, my freelance guys coming as well to talk about showreels. So if anyone has an online showreel they'd like advice about, then come and talk to Ian as well. Okay. <laughs>